Welcome to this week's podcast from Faith Christian Church. For more details, check out faithcc.com.au. We hope you enjoy this message. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn with me uh, to a number of scriptures, but the book of Mark chapter 6, verse 30 to 45. The book of Mark chapter 6, verse 30 to 45. Before we look at this particular passage, I want to read to you a couple of scriptures today, and then I'll give you the title of my message this morning. Psalm 23, verse 1 to 3. Who loves the book of Psalms? Psalm 23, verse 1 to 3. One of the most famous Psalms in the Bible. And it says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 to 30, Jesus says this. He says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you, come on, I will give you, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So I want to talk to you this morning on rest. Who knows that at times we need to have a revelation about rest. We get so busy doing stuff, our mind gets so filled with issues we got so much to do. I remember years ago when mobile phones first started coming on the scene and when technology started to ramp up. And I remember when printers first came available. They used to say, you know what? The world is going to save a ton of paper the moment the printer comes on the scene. Ah, that's wrong. Your life is going to be a lot less stressful the moment technology takes over. Who knows that since technology has come into the world, our lives are more busy than ever. Come on, who knows that? Right? And I think at times our lives get so busy. There's so much going on. We carry so much responsibility. There's so much that fills our head that we can often forget the power that rest can have to actually bring blessing into our lives. You know, the word lie down in the psalmist, Psalm chapter 23 in the Hebrew, is a specific word for actually making animals lie down. And it's the idea that the shepherd is caring for his sheep so much that he's making them rest. Ezekiel 34 verse 15. Again, God is speaking. And he says, I myself would tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I want you to notice this progression in the the 23rd Psalm. It says, he makes me lie down. Then he leads me beside still waters. Then he refreshes my soul, and then he guides me. He makes me lie down. He leads me beside still waters. He refreshes my soul, and he guides me. You know, you and I as Christians, we understand the idea that he refreshes us, right? Who knows that? We understand the idea that he guides us, that he directs us, but he guides us as well. But this idea that he makes me lie down is an interesting concept in the Word of God. You know, it's not often that God actually speaks about making us do things. He doesn't make us make a decision for him. 
We make a decision for him. We, and he invites us into his presence. He doesn't make us live a holy life. He invites us to lead a holy life. He doesn't make us follow his ways. He invites us to follow his ways. So there's many other directives and, and commands and purposes of God where God invites us into his presence. He invites us to worship him. He invites us to have communion with him. It's one of the very few instances in the Word of God where the Bible says he makes us lie down in green pastures. Why does the Bible speak about this? Why is this so important for you and I to hear this morning? Because I honestly think in life, for us, it's not an automatic thing to do to actually lie down and rest. You know, we do a lot of things on autopilot. We pay bills. We do things. We have to sort things out. We uh, get dressed in the morning. We go to work. My old boss used to have a saying when I used to be in sales, and he would want me to follow customers up, and he goes, you know, making a phone call, following up a customer should be as automatic as putting your underwear on in the morning. I said, well, that, that's a very good illustration. He goes, have you ever forgotten to put your underwear on? I said, no. He goes, then you should never, ever forget to follow up a customer. And the point is this, we do a lot of things on autopilot, and I think our natural default in life is not to rest. I think our natural default in life is to do things, to sort things out, to feel like that we are the center of the universe and things won't get fixed if we don't fix them. And God comes to us and he says, I want to make you lie down and rest because you've got to understand that in that rest, I can lead you. In that rest, I can guide you. In that rest, I can speak to you. And so this morning, I want to talk to you about the power of rest. Not the power of work, not the power of productivity, not the power of doing things, but the power of rest. So my prayer for you this morning is that you won't fall asleep as we're talking about rest. <laughs> Don't rest too much. So there's a couple of uh, stories in the Bible that kind of center around rest, and look, there's many, but I thought if we would wrap this idea of rest around illustrations in the Word of God, we can kind of go deeper with this idea of rest. One of them is in the Old Testament, one of them is in the New Testament. So we're going to look at the New Testament first, and it is the feeding of the 5,000. Who's ever read this scripture before, right? So Mark chapter 6, verse 30 to 45, is this one found with Jesus feeding the multitudes. And it begins like this. Now the apostles gathered around Jesus, and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. So these guys were very busy. They were doing things. They were preaching. They were healing. They were getting the results. They were coming back. And they were telling him everything that had happened. And then verse 31, Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. And so they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. Now when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he began teaching them many things. 
Now by this time it was late in the day and so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take eight months of a man's wage, which was about 200 denarii. Are we going to go and spend that much on bread and give them that much to eat? Verse 38, how many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. And when they found out, they said, five and two fish. And then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in the groups on the green grass. And so they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties and taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up into heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. And then he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets full of broken pieces of bread and fish. And the number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. So there was a lot more people there, but just the men were 5,000. It's interesting, this monumental miracle. You know, theologians would say that this miracle was a significant miracle. It was like Jesus reaffirming that he was the chief shepherd over Israel and that he was providing for them and feeding them and, and looking after them. It was a metaphor of the way that God was looking after Israel. And yet this unconventional miracle, this significant miracle, this powerful miracle starts with the purpose of the night. The purpose of the night was not the miracle. The purpose of the night to act was actually to rest. The whole reason why they were going in that direction was not to supply the needs of the crowd. But the whole reason why they landed in their remote place was actually to rest. This miracle came out of a mandate to actually rest in the purpose of God. And I guess when I read this, when I read the beginning purpose of this whole scenario, that because they rested, there were opportunities. Because they rested, he fed them. Because they rested, he was able to nourish them. Come with me, Jesus said, by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. And yet in this command to be restful, they were probably living in one of the most fruitful and effective seasons of their lives. The disciples were involved in the miracle. The Bible says the people were satisfied. Everyone left and they were, all their needs were met because it came out of place of rest. You know, often it's so counterintuitive in the way that we think we need to help God in doing a miracle. And I wrote this down on my notes. I just wonder in life if we took less control and allowed God to take more control, we'd be in a much better place emotionally healthy to actually see the blessing and the favour of God upon our lives. And this is really what we're seeing here. I think people of faith know how to rest. They know how to rest in the purpose of God. They know how to rest in the plan of God. They know how to rest in the idea that we are servants of a higher plan and of a higher call. I love what it says in Revelation chapter 14, verse 13. It says, Then I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit. They will rest from their labor, for their deeds will follow them. Their deeds will follow them. 
that which God outworked in their life goes far beyond them. You've got to understand, everything that you do for God is not just limited by your physical hands and feet, but it's birthed out of the living, breathing Word of God. It can continually go beyond your effort, beyond your ability. You know, my dad, in the early years of his, of his life, when he first gave his life to Jesus, you know, life was hard and life was tough. And, you know, he had to make some really major decisions in his life and change his lifestyle. You know, I'm living in the blessing of that. His deeds have gone on before him. We see this in Revelation. What rest does God do for us? What is the rest that we see here in the book of Mark and the rest that I believe Jesus offers us. I want to give you a couple of things today and then we're going to look at the Old Testament. The first one is this. It's the rest from striving. It's the rest from striving. You see, often you and I, we strive so much in life to achieve so many things that we actually don't understand the power that the rest from striving can actually have. You know, in order to get this picture in its entirety, you need to see what happens after the miracle. And the Bible says that after the miracle, Jesus says to them, I want you to go to the other side of the lake. I'm going to go up into the mountainside to pray, and I'm going to meet you there. And the Bible says as he goes off to pray, they take the boat to the other side of the lake. And verse 47 says this, Now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he, Jesus, was alone on the land. Verse 48, he saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. And shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake, and he was about to pass them by. You know, the word straining literally means to apply torture. In other words, they were torturing themselves just to get to the other side of the lake. They were putting themselves under immense pressure, under immense strain, under immense anxiety just to get to the other side of the lake. Church, don't you find this is a kind of a topsy-turvy idea out of this whole particular passage? Here we see the greatest miracle, one of the most significant miracles that Jesus ever did, done with ease, and yet just to get to the other side of the lake was great strain. Surely you'd think it would be the other way around. Surely you would think just being on the journey of life would be easy, and actually doing something monumental would be so strainful and so anxious and, and so, you know, uh, filled with fear and worry. But the reality was, on one end it was easy, on the other end it was so hard. And do you know what the difference was? One of the scenarios, they were doing it with Jesus. On the other side, they were doing it by themselves. On one end, they were doing it with Christ. And on the other end, they were doing it by themselves. Jesus says to them, come with me. Don't come and work for me. Don't come and do it without me. But come with me. We are going to do this Together, things I've realized in life, the things that I do on my own are the things that cause me the greatest stress and the greatest worry and keep me up at night. But the things that I do with Jesus are the things that I actually rest from striving because he is the one that carries the load. 
I want to say this to you this morning. As a Christian, the greatest difference of our faith is not that we believe another set of ideas, but the greatest difference of our faith is that we are actually doing it with Jesus. We're not doing it on our own. Whether it's our business or our family or wanting to be good parents or having to deal with the complexity of running a business, we are not doing it on our own. We are actually doing it with Jesus. And when we understand we are doing it with Him, we can actually rest from the striving of carrying the load on our own. Come on, if you believe it this morning, say amen. It's one of the greatest powers of our Christian faith, church. It's one of the greatest things that God offers to you and I. He does not offer a stress-free life in terms of that everything goes in the right direction. He doesn't offer us unlimited wealth. He doesn't offer you a life where everything lands in the right direction. But what He does offer to you and I is a life with Him that no matter what storm you go through, no matter what challenge you face, He is with you every step of the way. And it's so powerful that here this wonderful miracle was done without striving. And yet just the simple thing of just making a simple task of getting to the other side of the lake, they were torturing themselves. He says to them, come with me, with him. You can do anything, not for him or without him, but with him, there is nothing that is impossible. With him, there is peace from striving. With him, he carries the load. With him, he makes the difficult bearable. Without him, it's a different story. And I guess the question that I have for you this morning, the challenge out of this passage is very simply, can you be satisfied in life when it's just you and him? Can you be satisfied if it's just you and him? I think many times we seek different areas of, of the world to maintain our satisfaction. We think in order to have a satisfied life, we have everything that has to line up in the right direction. We've got to have the right house, the right car, the right marriage, the right job. Everything's got to line up. And if everything lines up, then my life is satisfied. If everything lines up, then my life is good. But really, throughout the Word of God, you see many times in the Bible that it was just that person and Jesus, and it was enough for them to sustain every season of difficulty that life actually threw against them. You know, I think many times in life, especially in Western Christianity, we can forget the power of our faith. And the power of our faith is not what God does for us. The power of our faith is our relationship with Jesus Christ. The power of our faith is not the miracles that He can produce. But the power of our faith is that he walks with us and he talks with us and he tells us that we are his own. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Come on, who wants that this morning? Who understands that today? That is one of the greatest things that God offers to you and I. The power of our faith. Is he enough? We strive because we don't live with that revelation. We think we need work. We think we need these things. God offers these things for our enjoyment. He wants to bless our life. Don't get me wrong. I don't have a theology here that God doesn't want to bless you. But there's a difference between it being a blessing and there's a difference between you actually needing it. I need this in order to live fulfilled. The only thing we really need is Jesus. And yes, He blesses us and praise God, you know that my life is blessed and I have food on the table. I'm not saying that I don't need that, that I don't enjoy those things. But the core thing of who I am 
is that I have my relationship with Jesus. You know, we often say to couples that are going to get married, we say, yeah, if you're going to get married, you've got to make sure that you deal with your brokenness. One broken person and another broken person does not make a wholeness. One broken person and another broken person, you have double the brokenness. And so God's plan for your life is that you deal with yourself on the inside so there is a wholeness on the inside. So when two whole people together, the Bible says that one can put a thousand of flight, but two can put 10,000 of flight. I'm telling you, when two people that are whole on the inside, that have come to a place of wholeness on the inside because of what Jesus Christ has done for them, there is nothing that is impossible for them. I've seen marriages that when people have come together have produced amazing things because they've allowed God to bring wholeness on the inside of them. Is He enough for you this morning? I want to tell you today that He is. He can fulfill every desire. He can fulfill every single need. You know, scientists found out, and you know, you read these things and it's interesting, in one of the psychology magazines, scientists found out that the happiest a person ever is in their life is at the age of seven. So we're all in trouble. Age of seven. Kind of the age where there's no responsibility, no self-esteem issues. No issues, do they like me? Am I cool enough? Have I got blonde hair enough? No career challenges. The age of seven. But the reality is, you know, we're always seeking for happiness and fulfillment and purpose. But can you find your peace and happiness in Him? God for you is more than enough. He's more than enough, church. He is more than enough. The first one is, it's the rest from striving. And when you do it with Him, He takes that edge of the striving off your life. The second one is this. It's the rest from supplying. The rest from striving, the rest from supplying. You know, when we often talk about rest, we talk about rest from those things that cause personal anxiety. You think about the things in your life right now that would cause you stress and fear and worry and anxious thoughts and would keep you up at night. It's often got to do with fear of supply. God, can this area supply my needs? Do we have enough money? Can my health be supplied for effectively? My future. Often the things that cause you and I great stress is often got to do with supply. God, can you supply my financial need? My kids have a need. This church has many needs. I need to pass this test. I need to pay the bill. I need to see the church grow. I I need to sort this out. My kids, I'm doing well, but my kids are in trouble. God, there's so much supply needs that are over there. And I guess when you read this particular passage, you see this wonderful picture of not only a God who gives them a great victory, but also a God who supplies them as they serve Him. Now remember, at the beginning of the miracle, Jesus says this, or the Bible says this, then because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. Isn't that funny? They did not even have a chance to eat, and yet the miracle was about food. And he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. They did not even have a chance to eat. They were so busy, it was impossible for even to them to have a small mouthful. And yet Jesus says, come with me alone and I'll give you rest. I want you to notice he doesn't even mention food. Doesn't even mention food. But being with him is enough to fill your heart. And out of that, God begins to supply all of your other needs. And what happens? The miracle 
ends up being about food and about eating. And Jesus deals with their personal deficiency and their ministry challenge all at the same time. Listen, he deals with the fact that they didn't have enough to eat because they were so busy, but at the same time, he deals with the need of the multitudes as well, and it is all done with their lack of striving. Let me say this, God wants to take the edge off your striving, but God also wants to give you a revelation that he's the one that can supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. The striving, the striving, the stressing, God wants you to rest in understanding that he is the only one that can supply your need. Let me give you another example in the word of God about rest. We go back to the Old Testament and we look at this idea in 2 Kings 4 verse 8 to 22. It's a wonderful story about Elisha, his first miracle. We know this story well that Elisha is Elijah's servant and the Bible says that he comes to Elijah once and Elijah says, what do you want me to do for you, Elisha? You've been serving me now for seven years. He says, I want a double portion of your anointing. In other words, I just don't want what you've got, but I want a double portion of what you've got. And Elijah says to him, you've asked a difficult thing. He says, however, if you see me when I go, he said, then you'll receive it. But if you don't, then you'll miss out. And then we see this wonderful journey of the, of the student following the master through different towns. And at every town, there was an opportunity for Elisha to stay where he was. But the Bible says that he kept pushing through and kept following Elijah until he gets to the point that now Elijah goes into heaven. And Elisha sees it and he says, my God, the horses and the chariots. He sees Elijah go and the mantle falls down on the ground. The Bible says that he picks it up and wraps it around himself. And the Spirit of God that was on Elijah now came upon Elisha. You've got to understand, out to that point in time, it was only a promise. It was only a conversation of what was to be. There was no physical demonstration yet that Elisha was going to step into the double portion of what Elijah had. The Bible says that as he came out of that, his first miracle here we see in 2 Kings 4, Chapter 8. And church, it is a significant miracle. It's one of the very few times in the Word of God that we actually see someone being raised from the dead. Theologically, this was absolutely significant. And again, like the feeding of the 5,000, it was more than just a breakthrough moment. It was something that was marking and putting a line in the sand that Elisha now had a double portion of Elijah's miracle. But again, the events surrounding that miracle have not got to do with striving, have got, not got to do with man's effort, but those events surrounding that miracle had got to do with rest. I want you to have a look at that this morning. 2 Kings 4, verse 8 to 22. So one day Elisha went to Shunem, and a well-to-do woman was there who urged him to stay for a meal. And so whenever he came by, he stopped there to eat. And she said to her husband, I know that this man who often comes our way is a holy man of God. Let us make a small room on the roof and put in it a bed and a table and a chair and a lamp for him. Then he can stay there whenever he comes to us. Verse 11, one day when Elisha came, he went up to his room and he laid down there. He said to his servant Gehazi, call the Shunammite. So he called her and she stood before him. And Elisha said to him, tell her, you've gone to all this trouble for us. Now what can be done for you? Can we speak on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? 
She replied, I have a home among my people. In other words, I'm doing okay. I don't need that. What can be done for her, Elisha asked. And Gehazi said, well, she has no son and her husband is old. And then Elisha said, call her. So he called her and she stood in the doorway. About this time next year, Elisha said, you will hold a son in your arms. No, my Lord, she objected. Don't get my hopes up. Don't mislead your servant, O man of God. The woman became pregnant. The next year, about that time, she gave birth to a son, just as Elisha had told her. Well, the child grew. And one day he went out to his father, who was with the reapers. My head, my head, he said to his father. And his father told a servant, carry him to his mother. After the servant had lifted him up and carried him to his mother, the boy sat on her lap until noon, and then he died. She went up and laid him, listen, she laid him on the bed of the man of God. And then she shut the door and she went out. She called her husband and said, please send me one of the servants and a donkey so that I can go to the man of God and quickly and return. 2 Kings 4 verse 32 to 35, we see the result of that decision. In verse 32, now when Elisha reached the house, after as I told him, there was the boy lying dead on his couch. He went in, he shut the door on the two of them and prayed to the Lord. And then he got up on the bed and he lay upon the boy mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands. And as he stretched himself out upon him, the boy's body grew warm. Elisha turned away and he walked back and forth in the room. And then he got up on the bed and he stretched out upon him once more. The boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Right, right at the beginning, when he prophesied this woman's going to give birth to a son, it was the beginning of that double portion, the fulfillment of that promise, the fulfillment of that mantle that he now carried upon his life. He had received the double portion. He was now living in that. And what I find amazing is that the things surrounding this particular miracle, this momentous occasion in Israel's history is surrounding this idea of rest. The Bible says that he arrives in Shunem. You know what Shunem means? It means double resting place. The man with double anointing comes to double resting place. You know what? I love hamburgers, but a double patty is always better than a single patty. One of my favorite hamburger places is Betty's Burgers. And I tell you, every time I go to Betty's Burgers, I don't order one hamburger, I order two hamburgers. See, this is powerful for this particular guy, is that the double anointed man is now walking into a place of double resting. What's the point? Many times we think double anointing means double work, double effort, double striving. But really what the Bible is saying is that where there is a double, there has to be double balance at the same time. There's got to be double resting, double analysis, double spending time in the presence of God so that God can utilize you in the things that he has for your life. And here the prophet with the double anointing comes to the place of double rest. You know, many times, and listen, many times in life, our place of rest does not match our place of effort. Our place of rest does not match our place of responsibility. And we are wondering why we're stressed. We are wondering why we carry the weight of the world upon our shoulders. Jesus offers peace. He offers this sense of wholeness on the inside. He gives you all that you need in order to handle every pressure that comes your way. 
But often in life, we don't make the decision to actually bring us into a place of balance where our place of rest actually matches the place of responsibility that we are actually living in. And the reality is, Elisha, the woman, the Shunammite, created a space. She created a place where the man of God could rest. And in that place of double rest, not in the place of war and conflict, listen, not in the place of striving, but in the place of double rest, he does an incredible miracle. And God gives Elisha the, probably the greatest miracle in the Old Testament in a place of rest. He goes to his room in the place of rest, in the city called Double Rest, and he lays down and God begins to speak to him about the Shunammite and what can be done for her. I really sense this morning there are people here, you are so busy running around, it is so hard for you to hear the voice of God. And you wonder why God is not speaking to you. Let me say this, God spoke to Moses on the mountaintop, not when he was dealing with issues. Here, I believe God spoke to Elisha about the woman and her needs, not when he was busy doing stuff, but in the place of double rest, lying on his bed. There are times that you need to take a breather. There are times that you need to take a pause. There are times that you actually, I'm telling you, church, I'm speaking to myself as much as I'm speaking to you guys. You know, every year I go, you know, we're just going to go easy this year. But throughout the year, right, we're going to do this, 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 and this, and this. But I've understood in my own life that if I want to last the distance, I've got to have moments of rest. Moments where I pause and actually allow the Holy Spirit to speak to me. Moments that I actually don't fill my life with stuff and feel like the weight of the world is on my shoulders. I love you as your senior minister, so I say this with love. You are not the center of the universe, God is. You are not the center of your family, God is. You are not the center of your business, God is. You are not the center of your responsibility, God is. Come on, isn't that wonderful that he carries the load that you and I don't need to carry? God, I'm not the center of this church, God is. And here we see Elisha doing an amazing miracle in the place of double rest. God enters that resting place and does a miracle. You find opportunities in your place of double rest. You find God's provision. You find direction. You find opportunities to do good. Not when you're working, but when you're actually lying down and listening to the voice of God. And this is the final idea, and I want the musicians to come. The Bible says that one day the child grew, and everything was looking good. Growing up, mother was so proud of her son. One day he says, there's something wrong with my head. Something going on on the inside of me. Goes to his mother and he dies in her arms. What does the mother do? Takes him back to the place where the miracle first started. Grabs hold of him, lifts him up and carries him on the bed of where the prophet lay. Doesn't take him to the prophet like many other people did. Actually took him to the place where the prophet lay. What was the point? She actually had a revelation and understood where the source of the miracle came from. And this is the thing. If we think that striving and stressing is going to fix issues on our life, then we will always go back to that place when things go wrong. But when we understand that God is the source of our answers, that God is the source of our miracles, that God is the source of those things that we can't fix, then we will always go back to Him. 
And when we understand that stressing and striving and anxiety and freaking out, if we seem to have this self-belief that that is always going to fix things, then guess what? That will always be the house that we'll go into. But when we understand, like this woman, that it wasn't her need that was fixing it, she had to go back to that place of rest. And when she got there, she found the other answer. Sometimes in life, you need to go back to that place of rest. That place where you can hear from the voice of the Holy Spirit. That place that you repetitively go to again and again. I want to ask you today, do you have a place of rest? Do you have an upper room like Elisha? Do you have that place that you frequent? It may be in your car on the way to work. It may be five o'clock in the morning in your lounge room. It may be lying on your bed at night before you go to sleep thinking about the goodness of God. It may be in a certain place that you constantly freak. It may be walking through the garden. It may be walking through one of the, you know, one of the botanic gardens in Melbourne, but it's a place of rest. It's a place that you frequent, that you know that when life gets too much, you know when there's anxious thoughts, you know when there's stress, you know you're not going to go there. You're going to go back to that place of rest. You're going to go back to that place where God can speak to you. You're going to go back to that place where you can center yourself on the purpose and plan of God for your life. You know, this whole year of the year of the soul, about bringing health to your soul, is actually, if you look at it at the next level down, it's actually change, It's actually challenging our behavior as Christians and our belief systems to actually see whether we are doing the right things to actually allow the peace of God to come into our lives. You see, if God offers us peace, but we're not feeling it, we've got to ask ourselves, what are we doing wrong? Where are you missing the mark? There are times in my life that God has offered peace and I haven't taken hold of it because I've been so busy stressing and worrying and concerning. One day God gave me a revelation. He said, you know, mate, you are not the center of the universe. I am. And you know what? Stop having a God-like complex that you can fix everything. You can't, but I can. Don't work for me. Come and work with me. Don't work without me. Come and work with me. And when you work with me, you can do amazing things. When you work without me, even trying to drive from Dandenong on the Monash is going to be difficult work. Hallelujah. You get the point. He wants us to work with Him. Not for Him, not without Him, but with Him this morning. Can I pray for you today? You know, it's winter time. It's cold outside. Even the grass lies dormant. What a great time to reflect on rest. What a great time just to reflect on are we pausing enough to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us. I believe there are answers in that place of rest. I believe there are solutions in that place of rest. But more so, I believe the power of God is there in that place of rest. Come on, why don't you stand to your feet this morning? I want the musicians to come. I want to pray for you today. I want to pray today that God will do the things in your life that you can't do. Really, every time we have an altar call, that's really what we're asking. But I believe this morning there are people here today and you are facing some significant things. Things that your mind, your resource can't fix. And you know the deficit. And the reason why you're anxious, the reason why you are fearful, the reason why you don't sleep well at night, because you recognize that there is a deficit. What you have is not enough to meet the need. And God wants to remind you this morning that He's the one that is enough for you. 
He's the one that is enough to meet that need in your life. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from Faith Christian Church. To stay up to date, check us out at our website, faithcc.com.au.